The parable of the talents. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who has called his servants and entrusted his property to them. To one he gave five talents of money, to another two talents, and to another one talent, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received the five talents went at once and put his money to work and gained five more. So also the one with the two talents gained two more. But the man who had received the one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received the five talents brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five talents. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with the two talents also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two talents. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who had received the one talent came. Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your money in the ground. Here is what belongs to you. His master replied, You wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well, then you should have put your money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. Take the talent from him and give it to the one who has the ten talents. For everyone who has will be given more. And he will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you very much. Oh, you can keep that. <laughs> Hello, everybody. Oh, it's very friendly like this. I can see you. Um, yes, so I have to say, when I um, hear that parable, it makes me feel very uncomfortable. It, it seems to me that it sets out two different paths that my life could take, and I'm never completely 100% sure on which path I am. The parable teaches us that we've each been given gifts by God with the express person, purpose of using them for him and that sooner or later we will be asked how we've done with our investments and whether we've made any interest. And obviously, when I face the master, I'm very keen to hear those words, well done, good and trustworthy servant. However, I look back at my life and I fear I have unintentionally frittered away some of the gifts that I have been given. Life is full of hurdles and distractions, and it's hard to make, maintain focus for the long haul. 
And that's why I believe we need to make time and space in our lives to actively engage in training and equipping ourselves to fulfill this task. I believe if we're going to be able to pay back our talents with interest, we need to intentionally equip ourselves to do just that. So today I want to talk about how we can engage in effective discipleship. I think we can all agree that the supreme expert in this field is... Jesus. Yeah, very good, James. Jesus. Uh, Jesus took 12 young, predominantly teenage men, most of whom were uneducated, from small towns and villages in the middle of Nowheresville, and he changed the known world through them. So how did he do it? How did he bring about such radical transformation in only three short years? Well, let's be honest, there are many aspects I could pick up on, but today I'm just going to highlight four of the things which I believe he demonstrates that we need to do if we want to see radical transformation. And the first one is community in a small group of people. So Jesus actually had a large group of followers, but he didn't try and disciple all of them. He chose just 12 young men. Jesus taught them to love each other as brothers, to serve one another, and to support each other. You see, humans are designed to live in community. And we know that right from the start in Genesis 2, God declares, it is not good that man should be alone. Our culture celebrates self-sufficiency and individuality. But Jesus teaches us that we actually need each other and that a community is the context for transformation. You see, community acts as an incubator for spiritual growth, offering both exposure and encouragement. It's only when we choose to partner with a small group of people committed to journeying through life together, that we can truly experience authentic and meaningful relationships. This tight-knit community becomes the safe place where we are able to take off the masks, the masks that we wear when we see people we don't really know, and we reveal our real selves, the good and the bad. The group becomes a place where those who surround us understand our struggles, but they can see who we're becoming in Christ and are prepared to champion us as we seek to become the person we've been created to be. Because they know us, they're able to recognize the gifts and understand our calling and cheer us on as we run the race. This small group of people provides the safe place we need in, the, in order to be able to work out our life. It is the place where all of those in it commit to stand together, to support one another through life's trials, to encourage and challenge each other in the area of calling, and to ensure that everyone in the group reaches their full potential in Christ. In short, it is the place where the rubber hits the road. We aren't meant to live out our faith alone, because quite simply, we need each other. Ecclesiastes tells us, 
For if they fall, one will lift up the other. But woe to the one who is alone and falls and does not have another to help. It's in this group of people that we should be able to rely on to pick us up when we fall down, to bring us food when we're ill, and to support us in prayer when we need it. If I were to go back to the parable of talents, I believe, both from reading the Bible, but also from my experience of life, that every Christian needs to be in a group like this if, at the end of their lives, they're going to be able to show interest on God's investment. So the first essential ingredient is community. The second one I would like to put forward is time and space to sit at Jesus' feet and learn. Whenever possible, Jesus' disciples sat at his feet and listened, hanging on to every word, immersing themselves in his vision for their lives, his understanding of what it means to be human, and his teaching on what it means to be children of God. You see, none of us comes to faith with a blank with a blank slate. We all have, to some extent or not, to, sorry, sorry, to some extent or another, been spiritually formed by life. Spiritual formation isn't a Christian thing, or it isn't even just a religious thing. It's a human thing. Believers and non-believers alike are continually being spiritually formed every minute of every day. Whether we realize it or not, our culture is forming us. Therefore, although fellowship is an essential ingredient of spiritual formation, on its own, it will have little chance of impacting our transformation. In order to be spiritually transformed into Christ's image, we need to replace the lies we picked up as a result of being in a fallen world with Jesus' vision of life. Jesus tells us an alternative story to the world's story. He tells us of a different picture of what it means to be human and what it means to be spiritual and how to live life well. And it's only when we take on board Jesus' teaching that our minds are renewed and we begin the process of transformation. In Romans 12 verse 1 it says, Do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds so that you may discern what is the will of God, the good, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So if we are going to be radically transformed, we not need our minds to be filled with Christ's vision. So I think it's really important that we're in community, and I think it's really important that we fill our hearts and minds with Christ's vision. I also think it's really important that we put into practice his practices. Jesus' disciples were not only trained in the word, but also in his ministry. Jesus demonstrated how to preach and how to pray, and then he taught his disciples to do the same. If we were to remove the stories from the Gospels and the Book of Acts, where they are moving in the power of the Spirit, we wouldn't have much left to read. For it was through the signs and wonders that the word was verified. In Matthew 10.8, we're told that Jesus sent out the 12 with the following instructions. 
And what I would like you to imagine is this is what you are being instructed to do, because we are, in fact, all being instructed to do this. Are you ready? Cure the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, and cast out demons. Who feels ready? This would only have been possible if they had received adequate training and practice in advance of this outing. Jesus ensured that his disciples learned not just the theory of what it means to follow Christ, but the practice too. Getting Jesus' teaching in our heads is a good start, but it is just that, a starting point. It isn't possible to think our way to Christ-likeness. If we want to see transformation in our lives, we need to actively practice what we've been taught in order to change our habits. To read the Bible and expect our lives to be transformed without any further training is akin to me reading a diet plan and thinking my body's going to change as a result without changing my eating habits or my exercise patterns. Or it's like me reading about a training manual on how you run a marathon and expecting that I needn't do any training, I can just turn up on the day and fly through it. Not that even if I did do the training, I would ever be able to finish a marathon, just saying. Just because the information is on board, that doesn't mean I can expect to automatically transform into Slimsia Girl, or Marathon Mary, or Dazzling Disciple Melza. It's obvious that if I want to run a marathon, I have to train over a long period of time, building up my capacity through practice and through training. And I believe the same approach is necessary in our apprenticeship to Jesus. If we want to to use our gifts and multiply our talents, we actually need to put in the practice. It is true that when we learn to do something new, we will inevitably make mistakes. And on occasion, we will look foolish. Learning anything new usually does that to most of us. But Jesus promises to multiply the gifts we offer him. And for those who persevere, there is a great reward awaiting, not least of all, well done, good and trustworthy servants. So that's community. That, what was my second one? Has anybody been listening? <laughs> listening to Jesus. Mike was listening. That's great. And the third, practicing Jesus' practices. So my fourth one is a life filled with the Spirit. Jesus insisted that the disciples would be filled with the Spirit as he was himself. This wasn't a request. It was an oft-repeated command. If the disciples were to be used in ministry, they simply could not rely on their own strength. They needed power from on high. Without the Spirit, they didn't have the power within them to cure the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, and cast out demons. Furthermore, without the Spirit, they were incapable of growing the fruits of the Spirit or the gifts of the Spirit. No matter how well they knew the word of God and how hard they practiced, they would find themselves stuck in old habits and unable to change. 
Transformation is not just switching from a worldly to-do list to a Christian one. Transformation comes about as the result of us offering ourselves up as the temple of his Holy Spirit, who comes in and transforms us from within. We need to be filled and keep on being filled with the Holy Spirit. The book of Acts evidences the fact that not only at Pentecost were the disciples filled with the Spirit, but many times after that. Being with, filled with the Spirit was not and never will be a one-off event. We are designed to carry God's Spirit within us. I'm going to say that again. We are designed to carry God's Spirit within us. Isn't that incredible? What a privilege. We are like a mechanical toy that runs on batteries. And we come with a label marked, batteries not included. We need the Holy Spirit in order to function. It is the Holy Spirit who empowers our Christian lives. Without him, we literally have nothing to offer. And like all battery-powered toys, we will need recharging from time to time. Anybody who wants to experience radical transformation needs earnestly to pray, as the disciples did, for God's empowering of both their lives and their ministries. If we look at the outcome of Jesus' training program, it truly was extraordinary. This motley crew of men became a force to be reckoned with. That's why when Jesus left and went back to be with his father, the church grew exponentially and didn't disappear into nothing. If I go back to the parable of the talents, if the disciples were to meet their master, they would unquestionably hear those words, well done, good and trustworthy servants. Because in spite of their many shortcomings, which are plainly plain to see in the Bible, they offered what they had to Jesus and he multiplied their gifts tenfold. I genuinely believe that God used these young men really powerfully, not because they were exceptionally gifted, but because they allowed Jesus to disciple them. And like the disciples, we too have been called to embark on Mission Impossible, to heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy and drive out demons, and to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. This is a very, very big job that we have ahead of us. I therefore believe that discipleship today needs to be as intentional as it was for the 12, because without deliberate focus, we are likely to succumb to the spiritual formation of the culture in which we live, rather than the vision of Jesus. When I think about what the disciples achieved, I am inspired. I don't want to be someone who just goes through the motions of faith. I want God to use me to make a difference. In fact, I want all of us to be equipped to fulfill our commission in its entirety. I want the St. Saviors to be a church where we see the sick healed and the captives set free. A place where people can step through these doors and expect to encounter the Lord God Almighty. 
With this in mind, on the 17th of January next year, I'm going to be launching a new initiative that will aim to do just that. It's called Life Group Pods. We've chosen the word pod because it stands for place of discipleship. And my hope is that is exactly what they will be. The plan is that these new life groups will run alongside our current life groups in a sort of two-prong effect. Some of our current life groups are trialing this new initiative and others will continue as they are. And the idea of these groups is that they will be places where the focus will be on intentional spiritual formation. Each pod will be made up of a small group of people who are committed to stand together, to spend time getting to know Jesus' vision, and to put into practice what they have learned under the guidance and the power of the Holy Spirit. My hope is that these places will be a place in which those in them will find out what their gifts are and how to use them for God's glory and what their calling is on their life and how to fulfill it. So that when we come to the end of our lives and have to report back on the investment God has made in us, we know we have a good profit to report. And if you are here today and you are not currently in a life group, I would ask you to consider joining one of these new pods. I'm organizing a drinks party. I think you saw the notice earlier on, but you probably didn't know what a pod was. But I'm organizing a, a drinks party in the new year in which you can meet all the, the pod leaders and find a group which would be most suitable for you. So if that's something that you would be interested in, uh, we've got sign-up sheets at the back. If you could let me know that you're coming, that will make sure that I make enough nibbles and <coughs> drinks for everybody. Not that I personally will make them, don't be worried, because my cooking skills are rather minimal. Um, I'm also looking for people who might be willing to lead these groups. Um, so if you've been a Christian for a while, I would like you to pray about whether perhaps you ought to be leading one. Um, all the material I will provide, so you don't have to worry about what you're going to teach. It'll literally be um, step by step. But I want people who can mentor and encourage the people in the groups. So again, if that's you, I'm also organizing an evening to tell you a little bit more about what it would involve leading a group. So if you want to find out about that, that's on Tuesday, the 12th of December. Again, I'd be grateful if you would sign up if you're coming along so I know how many people to expect. My hope is, as a church, we would take the challenge that the Bible gives us really seriously, and we wouldn't let time slip through our fingers, but we would try and grasp the opportunities that we have right now. So I would ask you to prayerfully consider um, joining one of these groups, and let's take a moment to do that now. <laughs>